Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the Vietnam Holding Investment Trust. For this podcast, we're going to be looking particularly closely at the portfolio companies. We're going to be looking at three companies. And to do this, we're very kindly joined by Craig Martin, who is the chairman of Dynam Capital, the manager of the Vietnam Holding Investment Trust. Craig, very much welcoming you back to the podcast. Uh, It's great to be back, Jonathan. So as I mentioned, we have three companies that we're going to be spending most of the time today on. But before we do that, Craig, we always get fantastic insights from you in terms of the economic picture in Vietnam and how the macroeconomic environment is influencing things over there. So it would be good to get just a brief update of where we are, how the equity markets are performing at the moment. Well, that, that's right. There's, there's, there's two stories there, really, isn't there? Um, one is the kind of uh, the macro and the economic uh, picture, which despite you know, the gloominess and, and the worries we see in the world, actually in Vietnam, it's, it's still very attractive and strong macro. In fact, this year, we've had record levels of foreign direct investment. So that's people looking to use Vietnam as a base for manufacturing globally. You know, made in Vietnam. So that foreign direct investment coming in is at record levels. And then secondly, linked into that kind of trade position that Vietnam's in, this very open economy, it's had a, a record trade surplus. So despite you know, weakness and global demand being a bit soft through much of the year, you know, Vietnam, in, in terms of those two pillars, has done very well. In terms of the equity market, um, it's a much more volatile picture. And I think you know, investors need to bear in mind that you know, Vietnam's still a, well, it's an emerging market. Technically, it's still a frontier market. But it's also very much driven by domestic retail investors, 6 million retail investors. And they react both to global news, you know, what the Fed's doing on interest rates, as well as local news. So there is a lot of volatility. Uh, and the market was down um, quite a bit last month. Uh, it's up uh, the first two days of, uh, of this month. Uh, but through that, very pleased to say that Vietnam holding uh, a Vietnam-focused um, investment opportunity has continued to outperform. And, and we're, we outperform in the markets up and we outperform in the markets down. And we've been doing that now you know, with a track record, one, three, five, ten years of outperformance. So you know, we, we, we believe strongly on the opportunity um, and that's supported by the strong macro. But you've got to uh, both be nimble and, and patient because the markets can be very volatile. Indeed, indeed. Just looking here, Vietnam holding up about 7% year to date, slightly off the highs, but that's to be understandable in the current environment. So what we're going to do now, Craig, is we're going to drill down into a number of the portfolio companies here and really explore what they're doing on the ground in Vietnam and where the value is for investors. So we're going to start off with a company, FPT Corporation, which, Craig, I believe is the biggest holding in the portfolio at the moment. And it really plays in to the digitalization element and thesis that you have within the, the portfolio. So would you be able to give us a bit of an introduction to, to that company, please, and, and why you're invested in it? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Look, FPT, we've been um, 
a highly convicted investor, a high level of conviction, I should say, is an investor for a number of years. And it remains our, our number one position, about 15% uh, of, of the fund. FPT is a business that, as you say, is a, is a digital champion. It's been a domestic digital champion in terms of helping Vietnamese companies digitalize. And, uh, you know, it's everything from their kind of business internet services, their broadband, as well as software systems and cloud services. It's also been a significant exporter of software engineering broadly to you know, big Japanese com companies and corporates and big US corporates as well. And then um, thirdly, it's a big educator, particularly in science, technology, engineering and maths. It's got uh, school programs and university programs covering about 120,000 students. And in Vietnam, interestingly, about 40% of the graduates in Vietnam are STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and maths. And that's about three times the level, you know, perhaps in the US. I'm not sure what it is in the UK. So it's got these pillars, which have been doing really, really well for a number of years. And, and the business has been kind of compounding its, um, its performance at a high clip. So it's kind of growth in top lines, 20, 25%. Growth in bottom line is about 20 to 25%. It's return on investor capital over a decade is close to 25%. And then to add to it, there are very two interesting new themes that are developing that we're keeping a very close eye on. One is to do with semiconductors. Now, Joe Biden visited Vietnam uh, last month and really was delighted to have... Um, Vietnam lift America's status to comprehensive strategic partner, which is what Vietnam has with China, uh, with South Korea, also with Russia. Um, and so U.S. is now at that same level. And on the tail of that, there was a lot of talk about the U.S.'s aim of managing its semiconductor global industry. If you're aware, obviously, the U.S. outsourced most of this 30, 40 years ago to Taiwan and relying on many parts of Asia to produce its semiconductors. And under the CHIP Act, it's trying to bring a lot of that back onshore, but can't bring everything onshore realistically. So there's opportunities in Vietnam and there's opportunities for FPT in a number of areas. One is not so much in fabricating semiconductors. That's a massive investment of 20 to $30 billion, but, but rather in assembly and test and packaging of semiconductors. And that's something that people like Intel have been doing already for a decade in Vietnam. But also in the design, the design for, for the fabrications, not just digital, but also analog integrated circuits for kind of power control, that kind of thing. So FPT is doing that. The other thing that FPT um, is doing is obviously training engineers for the semiconductor supply chain. And then the other key angle, and this is relatively new as well, is the development of AI. Now, obviously, everyone's talking about artificial intelligence or AI in the last year since ChatGPT brought AI into people's smartphones and, and desktops and into their houses. Um, and actually, FPT has been developing work on artificial intelligence um, since early last year, looking at computer vision solutions for the auto industry. Uh, and they've been working with a very interesting company called Landing AI, uh, which is set up by Andrew Ung. Andrew Ung, originally from Singapore, but a leader, a world leader, a guru, perhaps, in, in AI. So FPT is working with 
uh, landing AI to develop curriculum, to train students in Vietnam, to, to train the next future set of engineers that will be very AI savvy. So um, it's, it's around developing the software in terms of the, of the human capital, as well as the capabilities for software in the traditional sense of, of engineering solutions, both for Vietnamese corporates as well as global corporates. So FPT, tremendous business, uh, good margins, great growth, and is really both that, that domestic IT champion for Vietnam, and Vietnam is a digitally savvy nation, e-commerce is growing about 30-40%. So there's tremendous domestic opportunity in Vietnam, but also Vietnam exporting software as a service globally. So there's a number of dimensions to FPT, and uh, we think it's a great business, high quality business, good governance, and you know we're delighted to have it as our uh, highest conviction in the Vietnam holding portfolio. So, Craig, I've just got a question on the the, the approach to to FPT because I mean, look, looking back, and this is nearly two years ago now, back to January of last year, and look at the holding within the portfolio. Then it accounted for about eight or nine percent of the portfolio that shot up to fifteen percent most recently. Is that a result of the share price increasing and growing within it? Or have you been adding to that over the past 18 months, two years? It's, it's, it's really through the, the, the growth, the share price growth. Actually, for Vietnam holding, uh, we can't invest uh, more than 10% at the time of investment into a company. Um, the fact that it's 15% is because it's grown uh, beyond that because of the underlying uh, growth in, in the company. Um, so quality discussion we always have is, you know, 15%. That's quite a lot. Um, do, do, we, do we take some profit? Historically, we have, and then it's grown again. It's, this is a compounding business. Um, so I say it's a quality problem to have. So, no, we haven't been um, adding to it um, much um, in the last couple of years, but the position has, has, has grown significantly. Yeah, thank you. Just looking at their most recent financial statements, very good growth in, in revenue and also EPS there. I'm going to move on now, Craig, and look at PVS. So this is a company that's operating in energy services, and it is probably one of the most weighted in the portfolio towards the Net Zero 2050 goal. So could you give us an outline of that business as well as some of the projects that they're working on at the moment, please? Yeah, look, it's a very interesting company. So PetroVietnam Technical Services, the, the ticker is PVS, is an energy transition play. And itself, it's a company in transition. So historically, it's been um, a key player in the offshore supply sector for the oil and gas industry. So it's had a, a, you know, a number of specialized offshore support vessels and offshore uh, floating oil storage um, vessels and the, the anchor handling tugs, these um, you know, very expensive vessels used in the, in the oil and gas industry. And where it's pivoting is using that fleet of about 18 specialized vessels to install and maintain wind farms, offshore wind farms, not just in Vietnam, but in Taiwan, uh, in Vietnam, both offshore and onshore wind farms and in, in other European countries as well. So as you mentioned, that's you know, Vietnam at COP26 in Glasgow committed to net zero by 2050. 
And on the back of that, the Vietnamese government, in terms of their energy plan for the country, have really looked to move away over time from, um, from coal, which is a key part of the current energy mix, and from oil, to use LNG, gas in the, in perhaps in, is the medium term and, and longer term to really develop more of the wind and solar renewable energy. And so PVS is really well positioned in the wind energy business. Now, wind is very technical, uh, and particularly when you're looking at near shore, so that's near to the coastline, and then deep sea or offshore, um, it, you know, that's a very harsh environment and you know, deep seas naturally. And so you need a lot of uh, vessels to install, erect the wind uh, towers and uh, the cabling and maintain them. So that's an interesting transition. The other very interesting project that uh, PVS is looking at, well, there's two. One is linked into gas, um, which is going to, as I mentioned, going to be that kind of intermediate uh, bulk energy source also for Vietnam. But in terms of renewable energy, Vietnam's got tremendous wind potential for the region. And by that, I mean for Southeast Asia. And Singapore, which is a very developed country, but has very little in the way of natural resource, is looking to work with PVS, with, with our portfolio company, to do two things. One, to import renewable energy, to import wind energy, uh, and to import maybe 10% of Singapore's energy demand from Vietnam through an undersea cable. So this is going to be one of the longest undersea power cables in the world, about a thousand kilometers. Um, and so PVS will be involved in not only uh, laying that cable alongside the, the, the Singapore company, but also then uh, enabling and powering uh, Singapore through wind energy that Vietnam develops. Now, that's obviously a longer term project, um, but in the shorter term, it's got uh, wind projects in Vietnam and then in the region to work on. So it's got a massive order book. Uh, one of our challenges as, as, as stock analysts is to kind of understand, you know, does it have all the capability to deliver on that? And, and how does it expand its capability? But again, that's a quality problem. So it's got a massive order book uh, for projects as it transitions from being a, kind of an oil and gas company uh, through to a renewable energy company. Now, Jonathan, it's worth pointing out that for Vietnam Holding, we've been you know, at the forefront of responsible investing and ESG investing for a long time. And one of our investors in the UK, who's also very committed to responsible investing, um, you know, called us when, when they saw in our publicly announced uh, fact sheet um, earlier in the year that we started to invest in, in this company, saying, oh, look, you know, can you tell us a little bit more? Because when we screen it, it looks like an oil and gas company. And isn't that against what you've been saying as kind of like a responsible investor and an ESG investor? And so we pointed out that, no, it's, it's a company in transition. What it means for our portfolio is, is interesting. So we measure our carbon footprint and we compare that to the, the, the Vietnam index. Now, on average over the last three years, we've been 30, 40% lower carbon footprint than the index, which is a good thing. But the year just gone, we're actually slightly higher than the index. And that's because uh, we, we've backed this company in transition. So it's still kind of categorized as oil and gas and therefore with a, a higher... Uh, carbon footprint, but actually over the longer term, it's going to be an emerging market um, renewable energy champion. So Vietnam, but also 
to to uh, the broader emerging Asian markets and even the developed markets like Singapore. So one to watch, uh, one to keep an eye on. Uh, we think it's a, a business that's got good growth. And uh, next year, we're looking at earnings per share growth kind of north of 30%. Um, so that you know will hopefully support what we see as our overall portfolio growth of maybe 20% in 2024. Yeah, certainly some interesting projects there, and, and especially that cable. I mean, that's a major piece of infrastructure that's going to be powering Singapore with green power for, for, for some years to yes. come. So that's, yeah. uh, that's a really interesting development. But just have some questions on the, on the wind power element, because it seems as though they're really going um, 100 miles an hour for the, for the wind power side of things. With the orders that you mentioned there, Craig, it looks like they have a lot of work. Um, for for some time to come. But just looking, it's quite timely, actually, that we're talking about wind power. Because we looked yesterday, we had news from the world's largest developer of wind power, Allstead, that they were scrapping two projects over in the United States. And when you see news like that, of course, it's in a completely different geography. I mean, what what are your feelings around that? Does that give you any concerns about wind power in, in Vietnam, or do you just look at think this is two completely different jurisdictions, and you know what's happening over there with with the uh, the economy and the costings is just a completely different situation than what we're seeing in Vietnam at the moment. Yeah, look, first you mentioned uh, 100 miles per hour. Hopefully, that's not the wind. Um, wind, yeah. wind. The, you, you want good wind, but not that high. You have to the, the turrets explode at that speed. Um, look, I, I think it's, it's an interesting point. Wind is a very actually very difficult um, energy resource to, to harness. Obviously, the wind blows and it's free. That's fine. <clears throat> but actually, to install and erect a wind farm is a very complicated undertaking. Uh, in fact, solar is much easier. Uh, to do a solar farm, you need three things. You need a, a, a cloth to, to clean uh, the, the, the solar panels, um, you need a, in Asia, you need a dog to go and chase the people off who are trying to cut and steal the copper cable. And you need a whistle, the whistles to call the dog back. So solar is very easy. Wind is very complicated uh, in all markets. So sometimes projects you know, get cancelled, get delayed. Um, and you know, even for Vietnam, it's looking at four or five gigawatts of, of wind potential. And it will take a, a lot of time and a lot of money to develop that fully. Um, so I don't think the case you mentioned is is relevant specifically to Vietnam, but it, I think it does just show that you know renewable energy is perhaps not as easy as people think, and that's why you need very specialised subcontractors and service and supply companies, because the components to the, some of these wind farms are massive. The towers are huge, the blades are incredibly um, long, and the logistics involved in siting them. Onshore, you know, is very difficult. Nearshore and then in deep sea can be a great challenge. So actually that complexity plays well to, to someone like PVS because they've, you know, they're experienced and qualified in dealing with very complicated you know, oil and gas projects that can also go wrong. Um, and so they can bring that skill set and uh, the level of quality and, and service um, to, to what they're doing in renewable energy. So you know, they don't need to get every wind project in the world. They don't even need to get every wind project in, in Southeast Asia. But they, they, will, they will be a significant player, I suspect, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia in, in wind energy. 
Thank you. So we're going to move on now to the last company that we're going to discuss today. And you mentioned at the beginning, Craig, that Vietnam are seeing a significant trade surplus at the moment. Now, of course, the facilitator of this trade surplus is freight and, and transportation and logistics. And the one company's Gemadept, which is an operator of seaports and air cargo, are they seeing a big uptick in their activity as Vietnam becomes more of a manufacturing hub for, for companies around the world? Look, uh, on the longer term, yes. <clears throat> this year has actually been a, a very challenging year globally, of course, for trade. And you know, Vietnam's generated that trade surplus, a record trade surplus, but actually on lower exports um, and than, than perhaps in previous years in terms of growth. Uh, but those exports have been higher than imports, which is why they ha have a surplus. Um, so for Gemadep, the, the core business, which, as you mentioned, has been um, you know, a number of ports across the, the country, it's been a challenging year. They've seen um, their port throughput uh, in the early part of this year, the first half of the year, down by about 20%. Um, and that's you know, people consuming less in, in the US and Europe, and there are all the concerns globally. We're starting to see some signs that that's picking up. You know, orders perhaps ahead of the uh, of the kind of festive season in the U.S. and, and North America driving uh, exports. Uh, and as you rightly say, Gemadep is not only a, a key logistics champion in sea cargo; it also has um, a, a big stake in one of the uh, two suppliers of air cargo in Vietnam. So I think the underlying business this year has been soft, but for Gemadep this year. Uh, we've seen a massive uh, increase in profit actually through one-off gains. It um, divested one of its uh, older ports very profitably and managed to divert um, its customer base to a new port that it had been building. And so it could get the utilization rates up relatively quickly. So it's been quite clever managing its portfolio, uh, despite the, you know, the difficulties this year. But we think its core business for next year could be well back on track. Uh, again, that's partly, you know, Vietnam is really positioning itself as a key part of the global supply chain. There are many more items now with the kind of made in Vietnam uh, item. Vietnam is also a big exporter of you know, raw material, uh, rice, uh, copper, uh, rice, coffee, rubber, kind of th that one end of the kind of commodity side through to manufactured goods. And that, there's a lot of um, electronic goods that Vietnam exports, high tech goods. Samsung generates something like $60 billion uh, of, of, of value um, out of Vietnam alone. So, you know, that needs to, the components need to be shipped in, and that's where Gemadep can have a role. And then the finished goods need to be shipped out. And that's where port operators like Gemadep can also have a role to play. And we think there's a good chance next year that they'll see um, increased uh, rates for the services that they provide at the ports. So um, we think they'll get better throughput, better volume, perhaps better unit pricing on their core business um, next year as well. So we're, um, you know, we're quite confident that the Gemadep also is a business that has good growth prospects uh, for 2024. And the core profit earnings per share could be you know, 30 to almost 50% in a couple of our scenarios. So we think it's a uh, good growth at a very reasonable price. Its price earnings is about eight, uh, eight times. So single digit price earnings for a growth that we think is going to be quite significant next year.
Yeah, certainly eight times earnings. That that does look very, very good value. So to finish off, Craig, I, I think listeners would like to get some insight into your thinking on the, the portfolio there. You, we've outlined three portfolio companies there, um, some done very well recently, but it'd be good to get some insight into what your thinking is going forward in terms of positioning within that the portfolio, you mentioned that there's a lot of volatility in Vietnamese equities at the moment. Are you happy with the composition of the portfolio as it is? Are you, are you going to be sitting with these stocks or are, you, or are you actually looking out there in the market at the moment, seeing this volatility? And do you have your eye on potential companies that you're going to be adding to the portfolio in the coming months? Well, look, we're, we're a long term investor, but we're also very nimble and active. So we're not the index. We have a high uh, active weight. Uh, and we do, you know, regularly, daily, we're, we're, we're looking at the portfolio and, uh, you know, updating our models as we see new information. And we're always prepared to change our, our positions based on, on new information and, uh, and either, you know, giving us greater conviction on our holdings or in some instances, of course, you know, changing our, our convictions. And, and also we have to be tactical as well around the portfolio. So you know, we'll see how, how the rest of the year uh, develops, but we are looking at a portfolio that we think can have good growth through in, in 2024. We've got a couple of interesting new names that we're, we're working on um, and adding slowly to the portfolio. Uh, and we think there are some, some sectors that could see good growth next year. We're also interested in uh, some of the retail areas, perhaps rebounding from a soft 2023 so that could be benefiting our names, such as our jewellery business, PNJ, uh, Mobile World, which we still have in the portfolio, but it's not in our top 10 anymore. And also uh, a couple of other names in the retail space. So, you know, you've got to be um, vigilant. You've got to be nimble. You've got to be active and you have to be on the ground. So our team are on the ground, actively looking at the opportunities. And, you know, we do rebalance the portfolio. Uh, depending on uh, which way the the wind's blowing, um, but we take that longer term perspective uh, around you know the fundamentals, good growth, uh, look through the noise, and uh, look at reasonable valuations as, as well. But also good management teams and businesses that are on the right track in terms of their reporting and their corporate governance as well. That's very important to us. So we look for either warning signs around that, or we look for evidence that our conviction is paying off. Uh, and for some of those businesses, we may well add to those as well. So uh, we don't want to do everything. Uh, and again, it's we're managing a fairly concentrated portfolio. Our top 10 is about you know, 60 to 65% of the portfolio. And we've got typically 25, 26 names in the portfolio. So it's a good size to manage. And uh, our performance has, has been very good. You, you know, our, our year to date, we're outperforming the market, we're outperforming our peers, and very nicely we received an award uh, just yesterday, uh, the CityWire Award for Best uh, Emerging Market Single Country Fund. So it's good that our you know, three, four, five-year performance is, is being recognized, and we want to do more. Congratulations on the, the awards, uh, Craig. I think that's really a reflection of what the share price and, and the work that the team have done there over the past few years, looking at how these shares have moved since then. I just want to 
give a note to, to listeners. If you do check out the notes to this podcast, there'll be a link through to the Vietnam Holding Library where you'll be able to download the most recent annual report, which I came out, I think came out in the last couple of weeks. So do check that out. Do download that. If you have to get more information on the portfolio companies discussed today, as well as uh, the rest of the portfolio there. So that's a link in the notes to this podcast. So do check that out. So Craig, thank you very much for being with us today. Jonathan, my pleasure as always. Thank you. And very much looking forward to having you back in the not too distant future. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.